So you guys, we've gone through now, we're coming to the very end of the book of Romans, and we've been digging through from chapter 1 to 11, just by way of review, all the doctrine that, that Paul wanted to lay out in this particular letter to the church in Rome, right? A church that he had never been. And we see that as very familiar. If you know Paul's letters, if you've read the majority of the New Testament, you know in his letters, that's what he does. He tends to like hit all the doctrine up front, the things that he wants to speak about doctrinally. And then at the end, he digs into the application of that. He talks about like, what, what, how do we deal with that? Like, what do we do with that? What, right? Because doctrine on its own isn't, doesn't really do anything for you, right? Like it doesn't really, it might give you a lot of head knowledge, but there's no way to actually walk that out. So there's a level of application that he brings. And that, you guys was from chapter 12 all the way through last week, chapter 15, verse 13. Now we're heading into, we're kind of arriving now at at the closing remarks from Paul. And maybe some of you guys, I know I love our church because we're not like a bunch of churched folks a lot of times. I love that. But I know that like most of the time, if you guys have been in around churches a lot, you'll have heard this, that a pastor will say what? It'll be like these, okay, and in closing... And then that means they got about another three points to give, right? Because that means they're going to keep going. We see that with Paul too. Paul, these are his closing remarks. Guess what? We have a whole other chapter next week of, of closing remarks. These are his first closing remarks. And then he has his second closing remarks that we're going to look at next week. But that's where we're at, man. We're in his closing remarks. So today, you guys, through the rest of chapter 15, we're going to be looking at this. We're going to be looking at Paul explaining and, and trying to give explanation to like, man, why, why, why was I so blunt in some areas? Basically is what he's saying. He's going to talk about that. We're going to look and talk about Paul's desire to come and visit them in Rome. And that's something that he had desired to do for a long, long time. We're going to talk about that today. And also, and finally, his desire to never stop doing what God has for him to do. It's an awesome look at just a man's heart in all of this. And so I would encourage you guys as we dig in, Let's see what God might have for us to learn, to glean through the Apostle Paul, but also you guys, like what, and more importantly, what does God have for you specifically that he wants you to kind of pull out and grab hold of in your own heart? That's really the key. If we're here for just academic work, then, man, go to college and pay money for it, you know? (laughs) Verse 14 of chapter 15 in Romans, it says this, you guys. It says, now I myself... I am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You guys, Paul starts his closing remarks with an encouragement to the church in Rome. He's like, man, church, I have confidence in you. I have confidence that you are full of goodness, that you're filled with all knowledge, and that you are able to admonish one another. That's a weird promise. That's a weird encouragement. You guys are good at yelling at each other. Good job. Is that what admonish means? It's kind of what we've turned it into, haven't we? We're going to learn that it actually doesn't really mean that. It's not really the point, you guys. So let's not get ahead of ourselves, though. Paul had this confidence in these people that he had never met, right? He had never met the people in the Church of Rome. Now, he had met people that were from the Church of Rome. We talked a lot about the fact that the Jews at this point were kicked out of the, kicked out of the country, kicked out of that area, so they, they weren't there. So there were definitely people that were, had been part of that church that were sent away from that church. And so I'm sure he interacted with some of the people. That's probably how he knew a lot about what was going on there. So it's not like he was completely ignorant to it, but he had never gone there and taught. He had never been to that church. He just knew about them. And so he was confident that they were diligently seeking to grow in their walks with God. That's what he says, right? I'm confident that you're full of goodness. How do you get full of goodness? Can I give you an encouragement? You don't get there on your own, right? Like, for real, as good as we are, what does the Bible say about our goodness? It's like filthy rags. It's like used toilet paper, y'all. That's actually what it means. Hmm. We don't get there on our own. We get there through the Lord. So he's, he's saying, I am confident that you're growing in the Lord. 
I'm confident that this is something that you're diligently trying to just press into. God is bringing about change in your life. And then he says, I'm confident that you're marked by knowledge and you're, you're in full knowledge. Does that mean that you're Google? Is he, was he like, you guys are like Google, man. You know everything. <laughs> no, that's not what he was saying at all. What was he talking about? He's talking about spiritual knowledge. What is the difference? You guys, we have a lot of, listen, I sat under many biblical professors in a certain college, which I will not name, that was full of people that I'm not sure were saved, that had more knowledge than all of us combined about the Bible, and yet had no spiritual knowledge or very little spiritual knowledge, right? That's sad. Thank God that's not every Christian school. But out of the two that I went to, there was one that was that way and one that wasn't. And I'll give you the one that wasn't. I graduated from Liberty. They're pretty solid. So the fact is, you guys, is that there are people that know a lot more about the Bible than all of us combined. There are people in Yale and Harvard and all that that, that are theology professors that are atheists. So there's a difference here. He's not talking about just knowledge. He's not talking about knowing something. He's talking about knowing it. So there's two different words that are used here in the Greek, right? There's one word that basically means head knowledge. And there's another Greek word that talks about like heart knowledge, for lack of a better way of putting it. It's putting it some knowledge that you know deeper than just your head. So in the first service, I used this example, and I'm going to change it up a bit. But when a cop comes up to you or a firefighter, you generally have a head knowledge that they're there to help you, right? Like that's kind of the idea. You have like an overarching, and that might be a bad example too because it might be deeper than just a head knowledge. But overall, you, when a cop pulls you over for speeding, you have a general knowledge. You have a, a pretty good handle on the fact that whenever he comes up to the, uh, the thing, he, yes, he might not be happy with you. And yes, you may have done something wrong, but he's not against you. He's just trying to maintain the law, trying to do his job. I know that is not a dyed in the wool 100% all the time thing. I'm not pr- trying to paint with a broad brush. I'm talking about I guess I am painting with a broad brush. Generally, generally, that's true, right? And I think it's very, it's very much more true than it isn't true. I'll say that. Here's the thing, though. If I say to you, if you guys have a mom and a dad, and I say, man, do you know your mom and dad love you? Probably 99.999% of us would say, absolutely. Absolutely. And when you would say that, you would know that here, not up here. Right? You would know that here. Because you like... No, they love me. Like, I mean, what's not to love? <laughs> right? But there's something different between those two knowledge bases. Does that, do you understand what I'm getting at? What Paul was getting at was that he was saying, I'm confident that you guys know Jesus down here, that he's here, man. He's, you're growing in him, and, and you want to know him more, and you're like, man, you, you know the gospel message. You know it. It's, it's real in your life. You've gotten a hold of God's grace for you. Like, you're holding on to it with your life. You're like, yes! That's what he's talking about, that he's confident that they've got that. Not just all knowledge, right? Not Google. Not some weird AI. And then he says something that sounds kind of funny to our ears. He's confident that they're going to be a people that admonish one another. (laughs) Mm. Here's the deal, you guys. What's the admonishment? that we should all have as Christians? If we're going to admonish one another, do you know what the admonishment should be? Keep going. Keep growing. Do you understand? We've turned admonish into some negative thing, right? If you, if a child, I asked first service, we had a, a younger kid in the group and I was like, and he's a pretty smart kid, right? And so I was like, hey man, do you know what that word means? And he's like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. That didn't work out for me. But most kids, it, what it means to them is yell that. I got yelled at. My parents aren't happy with me. I got admonished. They're angry with me. But that's not really the point of the word because as a parent, if you admonish your child, why are you doing that? Because you love them. Right? You might be like, hey! And they may be like, (laughs) and you're like, dude, don't touch the stove. (laughs) Do you get my point? Did you yell at them? Yeah, why? Because you're like, please don't touch the stove. (laughs) You'll burn your stinking hand off. Don't do that right? Do you get my point? Admonishment is not bad. It's meant to be done in love. That's the idea. And so he's saying, man, I am confident that you guys as a church know enough 
about the Lord, like you know it down here, that you're growing together. You're, you're submitting your lives to him and you're growing as a church and you're, you're getting deeper into it all. And in all of that, there's an automatic admonishment. Yo, come on, let's go. Let's get moving. Let's keep moving towards the Lord. Let's get to know him more, dude. You're getting lazy, bro. Get up, let's go. We talked last week, if you remember, about the idea that like Paul was talking about like coming alongside one another and correcting one another and, and doing those things. And we talked about the fact that like whenever you're in a battle, right? I was in the military for 15 years and yes, it was the Air Force. So no, I didn't get to see the, the combat by God's grace that some of the Marines in our church and some of the other people in our church have seen. But the reality is we all trained the same in some respects. And so we trained about what happens when someone gets shot. And so we all learned how different carrying methods, why? To get that person's body before they die out of the way of harm and to safety. And we talked last week, remember, that when Paul was talking about this idea of like, you know, coming and, 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 and exhorting one another and talking to one another and trying to like raise each other up, there is a time for that, you guys. There's a time for an admonishment of like, yo, stop looking at porn, you moron. Don't keep doing that. Your wife doesn't like it. God definitely doesn't like it. Stop it. It's not good for you. There's a time for that. When they are just in the middle of a massive fight with their wife and everything is going to hell in a handbasket is probably the time, you guys, that they're laying there bloodied and shot. That's not 100% the time as another guy to come around and be like, you're an idiot. Do you know that? can't believe you got shot again, you idiot. No, you pick them up and you get them out of harm's way. You say, hey, man, I, look, man, like, like, I love you, dude. Let, like, let's go. Let's, let's, let's get out of here and go get some lunch. Let's get you out of this situation right now. Let's, let's talk this through. Let me, let me hear what's going on. Let's try to work on a way to get around this problem, to see the Lord get rid of this thing in your life, right? Covenant eyes, all these different ways that we can go. And I just pick porn because it's easy. What is it in your life? I have no idea, but I know we all have one or two or three or four ways to get shot. The enemy's not smart. He's definitely not all-knowing, but he is observant. So why do we all have those areas? Because he's like, hmm, he's pretty weak there. I'm going to attack him there. He's not stupid either. Does that make sense? It's by God's grace that we live our lives, amen? And so when we see this admonishment, that admonishment should always be to encourage one another as a church body to keep growing, to keep pushing, to keep moving. That's what he was confident in them for. You guys admonish here in this context means this, to counsel and guide. How can that be done? It can only be done by people that are spiritually informed and spiritually mature. Notice I didn't say that you were absolutely, you've gone to, you know, you have your doctorate in theology and you're well-trained you're well and well-equipped to do the work. No, you're not. And that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about a brother or a sister in the Lord that has taking the time to get to know somebody well enough to know them, and they're also taking the time to get to know God, and the Holy Spirit works in those relationships in a really special and amazing way, you guys, that only God receives the glory at the end of it. Do you get what I'm getting at? You smelling what I'm stepping in? I have a question for us. Would Paul have the same confidence in our church? By the way, I'm not here saying, no, he wouldn't. I'm not saying that at all. I've seen a lot of this stuff in our church, and I love it. But you know what I do also know? We're never done growing, are we? There's always more room, more room for growth. There's always more. Listen, until we are all in heaven, that's whenever, as your pastor, which, by the way, I will no longer be because we're all going to be like, there's Jesus, you guys. But the reality is, you guys, at that moment is when we're like, hey, we're done. We're done, man. We've arrived. Jesus has always had us, and now he really is right in front of us. Until then, we got more room to grow. So would he be able to say the same thing about you? I asked myself that question this week, and the honest answer is yes in many ways, and in some ways, no. And isn't that true for all of us? The other thing Paul talks about in this section is this, his God-given authority to speak with boldness. He tells us that he was called to preach and admonish the Gentiles. 
which if you know anything about Paul is kind of weird, right? Like God chooses the most backwards kind of ways of thinking comparative to the way we think because who would have I chose for the Gentiles? Peter, because Peter's rough and tumble, man. Peter's like, yo, I don't know much, but I know this, y'all. Y'all are idiots and you need Jesus. Paul's like the guy with all the brains. He's the Harvard graduate. He's got all of this. And then he sends him to the Gentiles so he could say, let me talk to you about that statue that says about the unknown God, right? Like he chooses the person that doesn't make the most sense. You would think that he would send Paul to the Jews to say, let me break down the Old Testament for you in drastic detail. Let me explain Isaiah to you. Let me just drop some truth bombs on your face so that you understand that Jesus was the one that we all missed, but he didn't. Why? Because Paul could have done that in his own flesh, couldn't have he? But what he couldn't do is go talk to the Greeks and he couldn't really go talk to the Gentiles and use all the knowledge, the vast wealth of knowledge he had. Now, did God use it? Absolutely. But was that where he started? No, he started like on Mars Hill by saying, let me talk to you about that crazy statue you guys have to that unknown God. I know that God. And by the way, he's the only God. He used Paul in a way that doesn't really seem to line up. But he, he was like, man, I have this boldness that God has given me. And his boldness was to see Gentiles mature and grow up to be an acceptable offering to God. You guys, God had given Paul a very specific direction to go in. He said, man, go and preach to the Gentiles. Grow them into mature believers. I love what he says here. He's like, I want the Gentiles to be an acceptable, to be a gift that's acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit, you guys. God does all this work of changing hearts. Do you understand that? God does all the work of changing our hearts. All the work. The only thing, the only involvement we all have is to submit to the work that God's doing. That's it. It's actually pretty simple. And yet it's oh so hard, isn't it? But the reality is, and this is what's interesting, pastors within this whole thing, because the reality is, you guys, Paul could talk and talk and talk and talk, but did everybody come to Jesus when Paul talked? No, a lot of people didn't. So it's not like Paul did something special. God did something special in the lives of others, but those people had to be willing to submit to what was happening around them to what was happening and what they were hearing and accepting. Whoa, this Jesus guy is really it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. What a novel concept. And so Paul, though, and pastors in general, you guys, have this special and peculiar calling that's different. And it's to guide and preach about God, what God's word tells us. And this job to be honest, just has a level of boldness kind of attached to it. The Holy Spirit has to fill you with boldness because I'll tell you what, you're not going to do it otherwise. It is way easier to sit in the congregation. I was an assistant pastor here for five years. When I was called to be the senior pastor, my first response was like, no, why don't you just stay here? I like this job. <laughs> God fills you with the boldness to do the job. It's not you that's going to do it anyway. Amen? But... Here's the thing. On some things, he fills you with an extra level of boldness. And that's the Holy Spirit. It's not like somebody's good at it and someone's bad at it. The Holy Spirit is good at it, period, end of sentence. And it can look a little different in its style, but I know this. Every pastor friend of mine that I know has had conversations with people where they gave a really hard, blunt truth, and they were very, very afraid, as I have been in the past, of getting punched in the face. And, if, and I'm not joking. And I will be honest with you too. If you shy away from that, I don't know that you're doing as a pastor what God's called you to do. Why do I bring all that up? Because that's what Paul's saying. He's like, look, in this letter, I haven't even met you guys, but I know in some areas I have been extra bold with you. Why? Because I want you to re be reminded. I want you to remember. We see it in Peter, right? First and second Peter. I think it's in second Peter specifically where he's like, look, I'm going to do this until I die. I'm going to keep reminding you of these things because you need to be reminded of these things. I've had people say to me like, oh, pastor, what the heck? We're digging through this book. You keep giving, like you keep saying the same things over and over again. You keep talking about this guy named Jesus. Mm -hmm. That'll be the rest of my life, guys. <laughs> he's the point. I'm never going to stop talking about him. I'm going to be extra bold with that because that's the whole point. 
But what's the point of a pastor's job? To guide the body of believers that God's given them charge over to see them grow into an acceptable offering for God through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And that is not a work that any one person does. It's a work that God does in you as you submit to it. And it's my job to just sit up here and keep trying to pour word into you guys and keep trying to pour it in and pour it in. And by the way, grow in it myself so that I can become a better and cleaner image of Christ so that I can be like Paul and say, man, follow me like I follow Christ. Man, I wish I could say that with all confidence, but I can't in every area because there's a lot of areas that I'm like, no, don't follow me here. (sighs) And there's going to be a time when I get to Paul and I'm like, did you really mean that for reals? I think he did. I want that to be true in my life. Do you want that to be true in yours? Because guess what? We should all be able to say, man, follow me like I follow Christ. What does that mean? Stumbling and fumbling and figuring it out, (laughs) right? But following him nonetheless, getting back up and keep walking towards him. That's the heart, dude. That's the admonishment for us as a church, amen? You guys, Paul faithfully did that. He fulfilled the role that God gave him. And here's the truth. It meant that he was loved by some and hated by many. We see that in history. Christian, American Christian, our job here on earth is not to be popular. Our job here on earth is also not to just hammer people over the head with our Bible until they pass out. I don't know. Our job is to love people well, to speak truth in love, and most of all, to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. That will bring hatred to you. As we continue in this country, I think it's just going to get worse. But nothing should stop you, just like nothing stopped Paul, from doing the thing that God called him to. Verse 17. It says, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and around about to uh, Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul marveled, you guys, that he would be used for God or used by God for anything. Remember who Paul was. Paul was named Saul. Saul went around killing Christians. Or at a minimum, because I don't want to overstate it, we don't have anywhere biblically that it says that he legitimately killed, but we do know he held the coats and he was definitely happy about Stephen being stoned. We do know that he was given letters by the authorities to go around and gather Christians up and send them off to their death. So yeah, maybe he never actually killed him, but he was definitely a part of killing him. He wasn't, a, he wasn't doing a good thing. He was literally the polar opposite to the point that Saul remember, got knocked off his high donkey on the way to Damascus. And Jesus said what to him? Saul, Saul, why are you, why are you, what are you doing messing with me, dude? Why are you persecuting me? So Paul was marveling. He's like, man, why would, why would Jesus even bother first off saving a a wretch like me, but then on top of that, use my life in such an amazing way? We read stuff like this from Paul all throughout his letters. He's, it's almost like he's more amazed that God would use him than the people that knew Paul were amazed that God would use him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Christian, I think it's true in all of our lives because the more we try to seek the Lord and the more that we gain the courage of the Holy Spirit in our lives to step out and to do things, we're like, whoa, that's crazy. God, I can't believe what you just did. When I'm in counseling sessions and people are like, wow, that's really profound. I'm really glad you said that. I'm always like, oh, that was pretty profound. You know what I mean by that? Not that I'm so profound. No, I'm like, whoa, God, that was good. Because <laughs> that wasn't me. I'm an idiot from Philadelphia. Right? Like, I, it's not me. Do you get my point? Man, God is so good. He uses our lives. And I think like Paul, man, Paul was like, wow, my mind is blown. He was telling this church in Rome, like, man, I don't want to brag about nothing because God gets all the glory for everything. It's amazing what God did. And Paul was used by God in many mighty ways. But Paul makes it clear, man, it was never him that was doing it. He was just a weak and flawed man. But God was working, and God loves to work through weak and flawed people. Amen? You guys, Paul says that, he, that through the hand of God, he had taught everywhere from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Illyricum is modern-day Montenegro. It used to be Yugoslavia. 
I actually wrote that it was Yugoslavia because that's what I learned in college. But then I was like, wait a minute, all those like Russian kind of nations kind of broke up, right? Like they were all different. So I looked it up online. It's Montenegro. It is northwest of Greece. I want you to get your head around that. He's saying that all the way from Jerusalem to northwest of Greece, that's a pretty big chunk of land, right? And he wasn't Ubering his way around. He didn't jump on a speed train, right? Like there was none of that. Like he just walked it, right? Maybe an occasional donkey. But the reality is, you guys, Paul was a man that gave it all to God. And he got to stand and watch in amazement at what God did through his life. Christians, that's exactly what I think God has for all of us. That's it, man. That's it. I want that more and more for myself. What about you guys? Verse 20. Verse 20 says, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So Paul goes on and he's just like, hey man, this is the thing that God's given me to do. And it wasn't to just go and do what was already done. Right? He had already gone all the way down to basically all the way down to Greece. He had planted churches all that area. He had done all that work. He's like, I'm not needed here anymore. Like That's already been done. Timothy, Titus, all these different people that were spread around to, to take those roles and to do that. Elders that were raised up in these churches. Right, We know in the church of Ephesians, there was a bunch of elders that were raised up. All these places had leaders there. And he's like, man, God's already well known there. Jesus is being preached by those churches. I want to go where he isn't being preached. Paul had a true missionary heart. And I need you guys to hear this. God has not called everyone to be a missionary. Because I'll tell you what, if you've ever met a real missionary, a person that is like, that is their DNA, that's who they are, they are a different breed. My friend Travis, he died like two weeks ago of brain cancer. But that guy right there, I need you to talk about Travis for just a second. My friend Travis was a missionary. The day he was born, he died three times. They brought him back twice. He died again. The male nurse that was attending to him before he started doing CPR again, he actually was a Christian as well, and he had seen the family praying over this baby, praying over this baby, praying over this baby right out in the hallway or whatever. He had seen all that happening. And so the third time he died, he just laid hands on that kid, and he's like, Lord, you've got to have a plan. Why would you keep allowing this child to come back if you're not going to take him home? Like, Would you just bring him back? Use his life. And before he could start the CPR, he started breathing again. He came back. Now, here's what it meant for Travis. Travis had a severe stutter. Travis had very hard time hearing. Travis had a lot of, of stuff going on. Travis was also a champion juggler <laughs> and a hacky sack guy. He would go to competitions and win. He was amazing in so many things. But when you talk to him, it was a very long conversation. <laughs> right? Because he'd be like, and then he would do this and talk. And this was what was the craziest thing. He had his master's degree in sign language. He learned every type of sign language there was. And so when he would talk to stop his stutter, he would sign at the same time. So he'd be like, and I didn't understand what the heck he was doing with his hands, but that would help him talk and not stutter. So it was crazy how God made his brain and how God used his life. And the reality is, is that his whole heart was to be a missionary and his brothers was the same. They both are the same way. His brother, RJ, he went and felt called to ministry in Hawaii. And I always tease RJ uh, because I'm like, dude, you're not suffering for the Lord, bro. <laughs> that's, not, that's not mission work. That's vacation. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. God did a real awesome work. He's actually in Seattle now. But anyway, his brother Travis, though, was called to the Muslims. That was his heart. This Idaho boy was called to the Muslims. And so he, when they went, him, his wife, his kids, they all went from Idaho out to do missions work in a Muslim field in Narnia. We were never allowed to know where it was because literally their life was on the line. Their computer had NSA encryption so that they could hit a certain set of keys at the same time and it would fry the entire computer. They had go bags to get out of the country if they had to. It was like that kind of work. No joke. God used his life in a massive way because here's the deal, you guys. They went to a tribe of Muslims that had their own specific language, and they went over there not knowing the language, 
having to learn the language from scratch. But then on top of that, you guys, he actually helped in, uh, write the Bible and, and translate the Bible into their language once he learned it. But he also created for them sign language. And their whole heart was to go in and they would start this thing with physical therapy and with all this and that. Why? And this is the craziest part. Do you know why it's weird that Travis would be called to Muslims? Because Allah curses you if you have any form of disability and you are kicked out of your home because you're cursed. They won't talk to someone that stutters because obviously Allah has cursed you. But yet God used his life anyway. And God like used his life in this awesome way where he was there in this northern country. And you guys, they would bring these kids in off the streets because, again, the best thing that could ever happen if your kid has any type of disability is that that child dies so that Allah's curse will be off of your house. So they kick them out and they just throw them out. And it's the street kids that keep the other kids alive. And so they brought all these street kids into this home that was started in this tribe. And they taught them. And he taught them sign language, the ones that were deaf. And you know what he taught them? He taught them John 3.16. He taught them John 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He taught them that in sign. And then you know what they would do? That wasn't the only thing they taught him, but they taught him all these Bible verses and they talked to him about Jesus and they were like, man, God loves you. He loves you. He loved you so much. He sent his son Jesus for you. Allah is not real. He's a vengeful God, if anything. And that's not God. And so they would do that and then they would go and they would try to hunt down these parents and bring them in. And guess what they would teach them? John 3, 16. John 14, 6. And they would teach them and so like show them that like God loves you and God gave you a way of communication and these child, your child is not cursed. And God bore fruit through that. Now, I'm not acting like there was some massive revival where they were. There wasn't, but I'll tell you this. They have one guy that's called Virus. That's his nickname. They weren't allowed to use his real names because he said he wanted to go and infect the entire tribe for God, for Christ. There was another guy named Flame because he said he wanted to burn down every mosque, not literally, spiritually, and bring churches into that tribe. God is moving in these areas, but that's a missionary. That's a guy that's a missionary. Do you understand? That's a different breed. I'm not like Travis. I love going on missions trips. I don't have a heart to just go and learn a new language. But I'll do it if God calls me to it. But you guys, that was Paul's heart. He had a missionary heart, man. He's like, I want to go where I don't know the language very well. I want to go where like, people aren't even going to have a clue what I'm talking about and watch God do something there. That's awesome. Verse 22 says, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts. What's he mean? I've already done the work in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. So Paul, he lays out his plans, man. He makes it clear, like, I want to come, and I've wanted to come and hang out with you guys for a bunch of times, but I was hindered because I've been busy doing what God had for me in other areas. So I haven't been able to get there. So he's just being really honest. But now that those areas have been reached and established, Paul's like, okay, now, now I can do it. Now I can swing south, go to Rome, get some financial help from this church, hang out with them for a while and just administer to them and, and you know, minister to them and, and love on them and get some ministry back to himself, right? Because it's not a one-way thing. It's always a two-way thing. And then to go on his way to Spain and minister the gospel there. Let's keep reading. Verse 25 says, but now I am now going through, Jeru- uh, I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints there. For it pleased those from Macedonia to Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So Paul explains to us that, man, I'm on my way to Jerusalem right now to deliver this gift that have been given by all these churches in Asia Minor. And these were voluntary gifts that we read about all through the book of Acts. And specifically, Corinthians talks a lot about it, and we're going to go there in a second. But these were voluntary gifts that Paul said to the Gentile church, hey, you guys, you guys that got a little cash flow, you guys that aren't being persecuted in the same way that the church in Jerusalem is being persecuted, 
give up some of your funds to help them. You guys, these Christians in Jerusalem weren't just poor because they were poor. They were poor because whenever they came to Christ, remember, the day of Pentecost happened, a lot of people went away, but there were people that stayed right there. But what did that mean? It meant the same thing that it meant for virus and fire, those two people I told you about in North Africa. It meant the same thing. You lose your family entirely. You're not just like disowned, you're dead. I know that kind of means the same thing, but do you get the the drasticness of it? You're not disowned. If you show up to the door, you don't exist to them. You are on, you're just dead. Not only that, you guys, they lost their jobs. The people that were Jewish still were like, no, man, you've lost your stinking mind. You are not working here. So you've lost your family and you lost your... Listen, that is the way it is for majority of Christians in this world today. Americans, we live in a very safe and, and, and safe place. But, and, and the truth is, you guys, we're the weakest of all the Christians, I think, in the world. And I think a lot of it's because of it. I, how can I tell my mom? Tell her. What's she going to do? Think you're dead? Probably not. Tell her. Why wouldn't you? Do you want her to go to hell? You guys, they lost their families that didn't become Christians. They lost their jobs because of their faith. And because of all that, they were living in relative squalor. We see in the book of Acts that they had all things in common. Why? Not because they're like, yo, man, we're going to be like the hippies before we were hippies, man. We're going to just live communally. And yeah, dude, flower power. No, they did it because they're like, I got some flour, literally flour. You got some grain. Let's put it together and make something because that's all we got. That's why they live communally because they had very little. And so they put together everything and lived communally that way. Flip over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. This is Paul talking about that that thing that he was in in the book of Romans writing about and saying, hey, I'm on my way to deliver this. Well, this is years in advance of that. He had already started to talk about it. So here's what we hear when he talks to the church in Corinth, which, oh, by the way, is after he had already talked to the church in Galatia. We'll see that. But anyway, he says now, chapter 16, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches in Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letter, by your letters, I will send to bear your gifts to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting, then I will go also and they will go with me, which is what we see in Book of Romans. That was what was fitting. They went along with him instead because he went. Flip over with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This letter... This is a year after what he wrote there. And so they had obviously, and we're going to read this, they had obviously been like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's raise up some money. Like, let's do this. And this wasn't their tithe. You guys understand that, right? God calls us to tithe our 10% and give that to the Lord. But this was an offering that was on top of that. And what Paul was getting at was, yo, I don't want to pass, like, this is me using modern terminology. I don't want to pass the plates and just have you guys throw in whatever change you have in your pocket for this offering. I don't want to take an offering when I get there to pick up the offering. What I'm asking you to do is continue to tithe to your church, but put some extra aside for this. Because you guys, he had done this like a year later and he's writing this again. But I want you to think about this. If you have 50 cents in your pocket or you just put an extra 50 cents back every week, there's a lot more money there at the end of it, isn't there? Do you get the difference? So what's he saying? He's saying, man, like use your brain. You've got extra. I'm not asking you to to kill yourself and give everything you have. What I'm asking you to do is just put a little bit back. Church, we here, you guys, we support Africa. We support an orphanage in Africa. They need that support. Like we for real support them, right? Like when I say we, you guys, it's through Kenya now, which Dan and Kara head up. But the reality is, is that we as a church, we are a big part of the support that's there. And not just us, man. There's so many people that are supporting. It's awesome. But what are we doing? We're buying cows so that they can have milk. And then when the cow gets old, they butcher it and eat it. We provide chickens so they can have eggs. And when the chicken stops laying egg, they got chicken. We give food. 
We feed the orphans. We do all sorts of things over there. And do you know how we do it? By giving out of our excess. Because a cow is not that expensive. What's a cow, 500? We'll go spend more than that on some video games and a video game system. You can buy a cow for somebody and feed them for a long time. You guys, there are real needs in our heart. And this is what Paul was bringing up. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He kind of gets on him and he says, man, I speak not by commandment. He's like, dude, I'm not telling you this is something you have to do, right? But he says, I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Because he's like, yo, every other church that I asked to do this did this. And you don't have to do it, but I'm testing you guys because let's keep reading. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. The fact that he left heaven and came down to us already is going to abject poverty in comparison to all the riches in the world, right? But he also came to a poor family. He didn't come and become a king. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. Verse 10, and in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm testing your sincerity because you guys said a year ago that this was something you were all about, that you're like, yeah, man, we're going to do this. Americans, we're pretty good at doing that, aren't we? We're pretty good at being like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's do it. Two months in, we're like, I don't know. (laughs) Six months in, we're like, "I I forgot about it. I don't do it anymore. Verse 11, but now you must also complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality." As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. You guys, that's really the goal of every church, I think. That should be the goal of the Christian church, man, is to care for those around us. And I love what Paul says. Paul's not like, man, you go ahead and live in abject poverty so they can live in wealth. That's not what he was saying. Paul was actually saying, like, you've got a lot. Give a little bit of that, and they're going to end up being taken care of. And instead of spending it on a latte, give it away. You're not out anything except a latte, which makes your hips get bigger. (laughs) But the fact is, you guys, Paul wasn't forcing anyone. He was just making this bold statement. He was saying, like, look, man, you get to be a real difference in people's lives through giving what you have. And what did the Jews give? What? Remember, back in Romans, we read, he says, man, like, It's good as Gentiles to be their debtors because we are partakers of their spiritual things. Where did Jesus come from? The Jewish people. We all need Jesus, y'all. We're never gonna give back enough to to meet the, the thing that Jesus gave us. And Jesus chose, God chose the Jewish people to be the avenue that that came through. And so Paul's making it very clear. He's like, man, look, They can't give you money, but they've already given you Jesus. Like, that's important. And so why don't you take care of them? It's why even today, you guys, I love the people of Israel, and I want to see God grow in them and move in them. And there are tons of missionaries over there to, like, minister to them and talk to them and say, man, you guys are so close. Mm, Just get a hold of the New Testament part, and you got it. But they've got so much, man. Why couldn't, we, why couldn't they just give a little bit? Verse 28. It says, therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, that offering, right? I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. You guys, I don't know if you're underliners or circlers, but I would circle that because that is true. Exactly how it happened not as Paul thought it would. It says, now I beg you, verse 30, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. 
Amen. That was the end of his first conclusion. Next week, we'll look at the second conclusion. But after Paul was done delivering the offering to the church in Jerusalem, his plan was to go to Rome and then on to Spain. Is that what happened? Everybody read the book of Acts before? The answer is sort of. (laughs) He did make it to Rome. Did he make it in freedom? Nope, he didn't. Let's just give you a little little tidbit, right? A little, little bit here. From Acts 21 through the rest of that book, Acts 28, it's all about Paul making it to Rome. It's actually about Paul making it to Jerusalem and then out of Jerusalem into Rome. And it all speaks of this trip that we're gonna see that Paul here is writing to these Romans before he even gets there and saying like, man, pray for me. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that. But here's a quick rundown of his trip to Rome. Paul survived multiple attempts to kill him. He is lied about by people, right? Because he went into the temple and he did it the way the Jewish law had prescribed. And yet they lied and said, oh, he brought a person in that he shouldn't have brought in. And he did all these things that he shouldn't have done. And so they lied about him. He ended up being thrown in jail for his own safety. He gets to witness in the process of all this to the Sanhedrin, to Felix the governor, to Herod Agrippa and Bernice. And on his trip under arrest, to Rome, right? Because at one point he finally says like, man, I'm just pleading my case before Caesar. And at that point it was like, as a Roman citizen, that was kind of the end of the discussion. That's where he's going. So he guaranteed himself arrest, even though he had done nothing wrong. So he was under arrest. He's going on this trip. They get into a shipwreck. God uses Paul to save all the people because they were like, let's just kill all the prisoners and make this easy. And he's like, how about no? Right? (laughs) And so God uses them to get them all safely onto this island of Malta right? He's bit by a snake and survives the bite. All the people on Malta are like, ooh, you a God. And he's like, no. He rips his robes. He's all freaked out because he's like, I'm not a God. Let me tell you about the real God. And so then God uses him to heal all these people in Malta and people come to Jesus. It's just crazy. And then what happens? He makes it to Rome. He's under house arrest because he was like a good prisoner, right? And so they're like, fine, you can live in a house. You can have visitors. You can hang out with people, but you're going to always have a centurion chained to you. And you guys have probably heard this before. It's not new to me, but Paul was not chained to Rome. Rome was chained to Paul. Because what do we read in some of his other letters that he wrote while he was in Rome? He's like, yo, this person from the house of whatever came to the Lord and they're brothers in the Lord. And man, this person greets you that was a centurion that was chained to me. Like, what the heck? Like God just blew it all up, right? I'm kind of just paraphrasing, but you guys get my point. Paul was used by God in a situation and a circumstance that he wasn't asking for. As a matter of fact, it's the polar opposite of what he's asking for here to this letter of Romans, where he's like saying like, yo, pray for me because there's a lot of freaks back there that want to do me harm. And he doesn't just say, pray for me. You know what he says? He says, agonize together with me. Agonize with me. I need you to hear this. Do you guys understand that Paul's circumstances, that he was actually very, very, very good with the fact that God was going to do what God was going to do, that God is sovereign over his life and said, yeah, like, let's do that, God, even if it meant that his circumstances didn't look like he thought they would. Church, we need to get that in our heads. Man, the more we get a hold of that, the better it is, because you know what we tend to do? We tend to wallow in our circumstances and be like, oh, what the heck? Listen, my wife and I, we love this show called Lost. You guys remember that show? That was before Netflix. It's, I think it's on one of the streaming services now, so you can binge it. It's whatever. It's stupid. But the point is, at the time when it came out, we loved that show, and it was week to week, right? Here's the deal. This is how stupid I am. This is how quickly I personally can get into a place where I start wallowing in my own, circ- wallowing in my own circumstances. I remember watching and waiting, and we were like, yeah, man, it's coming on next week. Woo, yeah. Right? And my wife was way more excited than I was about it. No, she wasn't. I'm kidding. I'm like a sci-fi nerd. I love it. So anyway, you guys, but when it would come on and they would do these like, like episodes that would like rehash the season or rehash what had already happened in the show, I was like, what the heck? I want to know what happens. Like I was so bummed out by that. Or worse yet, man, sometimes they would just play a rerun and I'm like, you guys, you're killing me. And I get so worked up. That's stupid. That's over a TV show. Now let's get to some bigger things. Like, God, I thought I was going to be further along in my walk with you. What the heck, Lord? What's going on? Why am I still doing these stupid things that I don't want to do, Lord? Why do I find myself doing that? 
We get bogged down in our circumstances so often. Or God, I've got these big plans for my life. This is how this is going to look. I'm going to have my house paid off in this many years, and this is going to be happening, and then my kids are going to be amazing, and they're all going to be missionaries, and they're going to do this, and everything's going to be great. And none of it goes the way it's planned. And instead of looking at that and saying, God, you're sovereign, and you're good, and I love you, and just keep going, God, and I want to walk with you. No, man, we tend to be the opposite and be like, ooh. Man, let's get a hold of Paul's whole goal here, man. Let's get a hold of that and be like, man, God, your plan is good. It's the best plan, not the easiest one, the best one. So let's get back to this agonizing together. This Greek word here, this is the only place it's used in this form. And this word here literally is the word that is used when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood. It says that he was agonizing in prayer. That's the root word of this word. He's asking them to go to battle and prayer with him for him. As an apostle, he's like, would you please go to battle with me in this? Would you pray with me in this? Would you agonize in prayer with me? Chuck Smith gave the, I think every church, kind of a clarion call that I believe is worth repeating here. He said this, ministers need the prayers of the flocks. With Paul, I urge you to strive in your prayers for your pastors We need your prayers and we thank God for them. Pastors are sustained by the power of the Spirit through the support of their congregations. Guys, I think it's the truth. I can tell you in my life it's true. I pray, you guys, that we are a church, that we become more and more a church that agonizes in prayer. And not just for, like, local bodies, but, listen, we have pastors in areas that we support, like Pastor Tannis in the DR who has a massive undertaking with a school and a, and a bunch of people that he's trying to minister to and bates where voodoo is just so rampant. And he's going in there and preaching the gospel message to them. He needs your prayers. We need to be agonizing in prayer over Pastor Tannis. Bishop Petroba, who has multiple churches in Africa. And by the way, more, more churches, more problems. <laughs> right? You like how I did that? Not more money, more problems. You guys, he has people that are starving to death, literally. He has people that don't have homes. He has more orphans than he has space for them. He's got a lot on his plate. We need to be a church that's agonizing in prayer for Bishop Petroba. Pastor Landon in Italy. You guys, you got to meet him, the spicy meatball guy, if you were here for that. I love that guy, man. He is very close to me, and I love him. And he's, they're just a young couple, man, with their kids that just went to Italy, learned the language, and they just planted a church in like heavy, heavy, heavy. Like, you, y'all think New England is Catholic? Don't even get me started, dude. Italy is like Catholic on crack. It's crazy, right? And so he's explaining, like, no, this Jesus guy's real, and it's not just about these, like, statues and stuff. It's for real, it's a way of life. We need to be agonizing in prayer for Pastor Landon. And yeah, you guys, we have people in our church, men that have received the call to to minister, have come into my office bawling, and I'm like, oh, you guys, man, are you leaving? What's wrong? What's going on? And they're like, I feel like I'm supposed to be a minister of the Lord. And I'm like, that's exactly what I did when I was called to ministry. I bawled my eye. What, God? I don't know. You guys, we need your prayers too. It's, it's a peculiar calling that God gives. Would you agonize in prayer for us? Would you be in battle with us? You guys, church, we're called to live our lives for Jesus. He gave all of himself for us. It's our logical worship that we would give all of ourselves back. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about, right? Reasonable service in the Greek is logical worship. <laughs> I pray that we get a hold of what it looks like to live for him, you guys, that we would continue to grow in spiritual maturity and spiritually mindedness of just recognizing that, man, we're not to look like the world around us. We're not to look and talk and act like we used to act and talk and look. We're called to something bigger and different. We're called to look more and more like Jesus every day. And by the way, you're not going to womp that up in yourself. You need the Holy Spirit to do that in you. 
You guys, as we grow in spiritual maturity, I pray that we also realize that God's plan for our lives is the best plan, but it almost without fail will not look like you expect it to look. And it probably won't line up with your big plans. Proverbs 16.9 says, man makes his plan, but God directs his steps. I believe that to be true. Can I tell you why? I liked my house with a hot tub in Idaho. I was quite content there. When I felt a call to ministry, I was like, well, obviously it's going to be a Calvary Chapel Mountain home in Idaho, and I'm just going to come under as, a, as an assistant pastor. That's how that's going to look, says a person in New Hampshire that had to go look it up on the map when God said, you're going to New Hampshire. I'm like, well, where? I thought it was Vermont. I thought we were the upside down one. <laughs> And again, you know what else I did to God? Well, why not PA, God? That's where I grew up. Like, I could just go back near family. Like, that would be cool. No, New Hampshire, where everyone on both sides of our family, my wife and my, my family, was like, you guys are idiots. What are you doing? I have no idea. But we know God's called us to it, so we're going to do it. God directs our steps. It is the best life you could ever have, and it is probably the hardest life you could ever walk. But the reality is, you guys, and I need you to hear this, it is always more difficult to walk against the flow. And the fact is, the world is a fast-moving river, and it's getting faster by the day. Living out west, you guys, I know I'm out of time. I'm sorry. Living out west in Idaho, the Snake River, listen, when, during the spring, whenever the melt is coming, that's like class rapid. Like the rapids there are like ones that professionals, you'll see like a bunch of camera crews sometimes on the rapids because they're filming kayakers going down. And guess what happens every year? At least, at least two or three people die professionals, people that do this for a living, that will jump like off, their, off of like 12 and 15 feet waterfalls with their kayak, they go down this river, get their head wedged between two stones and die. Like it's no joke. Now, I never got into the water when it's that fast, but we do get into the, we got into the Snake River in the dead of summer whenever the rapids have gone way, way low and it was ankle deep and the water is still moving so fast that it knocks your feet right out from under you. You don't understand fast water until you've gone out west like that, right? We're not talking about the Mississippi where you're like, duh, duh, duh. right? No, this stuff's moving. It's moving. That's what the world is. The world is fast moving and it's moving the wrong way. And God has called us to something hard and that is walk upstream. The way of Christ is narrow. The path is narrow. The way is wide. The river that is streaming downhill is wide. You're called to work up. That's not easy, you guys, but it is way better. Why? Because that's where Jesus is. So let's be a church, you guys, that's fighting and clawing with one another, that's admonishing one another and being like, let's go. That rock knocked your feet out. Let's get up. Let's keep walking. I want to be a church like that, man, that's walking against the flow. Not out beating people up, but no, saying, dude, who can we grab along the way that's streaming down the river, maybe in a kayak? We'd be like, go this way. Come this way. It's way better this way. At the end of this is heaven. At the end of that is a big old waterfall to hell. You don't want to go that way. And it's all about Jesus. Do you understand, you guys? That's what I want for us as a church, man. Encouraging, coming alongside one another and continuing to walk against the current of the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time we've had together. And Father, I do pray, God, that you would just, just be in our midst. God, be, Father, with us as we work this stuff out, God. Lord, Paul put these things here for a reason. And, and God, more specifically, you put it in Paul to write this stuff down for us. God, would you help us to chew on that this week? Lord, what does it look like for us to be a church that walks out the things that you've called us to walk out, Lord? Father, I thank you that the answer is sort of easy, Lord God. It's, it's to spend time in your word and to spend time with you in prayer. And Lord, to spend time fellowshipping with one another because Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would be healthy, God, that we would be a church that loves each other well enough to be like, hey, where are you at in the world? What's going on in your life? How can we help you? How can we pray for you? How can we come alongside you? And Lord, I pray, Father, that we as a church, Lord, would continue and just be a church that agonizes in prayer, one for another, Lord, and for pastors. So God, have your way in us. Lord, I just, I pray right now, Father, for Pastor Tannis and NDR. God, I pray, Father, for, for Tannis and for Esther, Lord, that you would just pour out your wisdom, Father, pour out your blessing upon them. 
God, for Bishop Petroba and Ruth, Lord God, that it also, Lord, that you would just pour out wisdom and blessing, God, that you would just continue to give them energy and everything they need, Lord God, all the driving that he does literally all over the place in Kenya. God, would you just continue, Father, to bless uh, their minds, bless them, God, give them all the energy and the courage and everything that is needed, Father, to fulfill the goals and the roles that you've put them in, that you've put him in, God. And God, Oh, Lord, for Landon, I pray. I thank you for my brother. I thank you, Father, for his just heart, Lord, to go and to serve the people in Italy. I thank you, Father, for his just big old brains that were able to pick up the language so quickly, Lord, and that he's ministering in Italian to the Italians now, Lord, that he is just, you're just moving in that church, Lord God. Would you just continue to move in them, God? Father, would you give us just hearts to remember these things? Hearts, Lord God, to just continue to seek you and all these things. And Father, now I finally, I just pray, Father, for those uh, that, that have expressed, Lord, that you have a calling on their life, Lord, you know what that is. And Father, we just, I just pray for them, Lord God, that you would just be with them, Lord. For those in our church, Lord God, that, that maybe you have yet to call, but Lord, have a calling on their life that we just don't know about yet. Lord, would you move in this body? Would you raise up people, Lord God? Would you raise up men, Father, to just come alongside the work that you have for them to do, Father, because, Lord, we are just one little church, but I know, Lord, you've called us to be a church that plants churches, and so, God, we want to send pastors out. We want to send people out. God, would you give us, would you build up, would you do the work, Lord, that you want to do in us and through us, God, and we need you, Father. We need you. We are desperate for you. Have your way in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.